2: Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is the Bucks Wire Podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now, your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Bucks Wire editor, Luke Easterling.
3: Luke, I looked at the line right before kickoff Giants getting 10 points from the Bucks. I'm like, man, that line. Giants, Tom Brady. I know from my days out here in New England watching Brady against the Giants, I know he never has an easy time against New York and I should have bet. I didn't do it, but I should have put some money on that line because I knew there was no way Brady was going to blow out the Giants. It just That just does not happen. That was a little painful last night, but thank God the Bucs found a way to win that, so they didn't screw up this game going up against the Saints. I really wanted the Bucks to be 6-2 and, and the Saints 5-2 and, and that whole thing. If they would have lost this game to the Giants, that would have been freaking painful, so thank God they figured it out, but like I said, no Never underestimate how much the Giants are in Brady's head he just cannot beat that team for some reason
4: hey man I, it's you know it's like Bruce Arian said after the game you don't apologize for winning it's a lot easier to lick your wounds when you play badly and still win uh, than it is if you have a crushing loss it's, a, it's a, the difference between you know what they what they did against Chicago on that Thursday night game I know Chicago's got a better record but let's be honest they're just as ugly of a team I think in a lot of ways as the Giants were um, yes. last night and you know when, when you come away with a win instead of a loss when you play badly it's a lot easier to, to become comfortable going back to the drawing board and say, hey, you know, we got a lot of things to fix here, but it's a lot nicer to be six and two still in first place heading into that game than it is five and three. You don't apologize for winning at the end of the day. You have to win the ugly ones just as much as the pretty ones. And they they all count the same. And at the end of the day, the, the answer is, did you make Enough plays to win the game when you had the opportunity, and the Bucks did it, and they won the game. No
3: doubt, yeah. And Daniel Jones will put some on a platter for you, my man. He will do that for you, and the Bucks. And the Bucks caught him, and we could talk about that. But how, I want to know, like, if you just t- take off your reporter cap for one minute, Luke, and just if you let yourself just be a Bucks fan at halftime, thinking about where this game was headed I mean Brady is throwing a tantrum on the sidelines slamming his helmet like a 16 year old girl I know Twitter was having a fun time making fun of my guy Tom Brady when he was doing that and it's like nothing's going right they're down 14 to 6 they're actually about to kick the ball back to the Giants to start the second half like you're really thinking in that moment and I looked at my wife and I said this man if the Giants go down and score on this first drive of the third quarter the Bucks are in some serious heat here they're in big time trouble big time. But we all know what happened. Daniel Jones throws the interception. Terrible throw. Terrible decision. And right when that happened, I knew the Bucks were going to turn it around. But how are you feeling at halftime? Like, man, it was not going the Bucks' way at all. And, and you kept tweeting, Luke. You're like, wake up, Tampa. Wake up.
4: I think at halftime, honestly, I felt a lot different than I did earlier in the season. Right? Because we had we had some games like that. We had the Chargers game where the Chargers were up big. And yeah, the Bucks got that big play right before the half. That kind of changed the tide a little bit. But they were still down two scores in that game. Right? So, you know, you, you go into to, um the Packers game where they're down 10 nothing right away at the end of the first quarter you know they've punted twice the Packers have scored twice and you're like oh man here we go again it's going to be a blowout and you see the difference between the 2020 Bucks and pretty much every other buccaneer iteration <laughs> right. since they won the Super Bowl in 2002 2003 so you saw the from the players making plays to the coaches making the in-game adjustments or the halftime adjustments going into that locker room especially the way they finished it with that long drive i know they only got the field goal but they got some points they made it a one score game and they moved the ball they looked like a team that could they could move the ball and when you can do that you feel a lot better about yourself right so because the Bucks had played some really ugly first half so far this season and had come back in the second half or come back a little later in the game to kind of shake off the rust make some adjustments and, and on both sides of the ball and make the plays necessary to get themselves back into the win column I felt different this time around I you know I had burned myself a couple of times in those earlier games by tweeting things in the first half about man he we go, same old bucks, blah, 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 and they embarrassed me by making a a difference. So I I held back last night. I definitely did say some things about how they were sleepwalking through that game, and it definitely looked that way, but I I had more confidence last night at halftime than I probably had earlier in the season, and and they proved me right. They went out and got, again, they made enough plays in the key moments to win the game.
3: Yeah, and another thing you were saying is the defense are going to have to make some plays, and they absolutely did, and we knew that Daniel Jones would throw some up on a platter for you because that's what he does. I know Giants fans, those still hang Hanging on to hope that Daniel Jones is their quarterback, and man, I've I've already jumped off that ship. I'm already on Team Justin Fields or or Trevor, whoever you could get. You got to move on from this kid. He's not the answer. He looks like a deer in the headlights, and he keeps making the same mistakes over and over. I go down to the very last play of the game, the two point conversion. Giants Nation is all up in arms about this flag getting picked up. I kind of understand it for a Giants fan to be upset when a flag gets thrown on a kind of a questionable play like that. It's kind of a bang-bang play. The flag gets thrown, you kind of expect them to just go through with it and call the penalty. That's tough to swallow as a, a Giants fan when they do pick that flag up and say, never mind, no flag. That hurts. But for the Giants coaches and players to be complaining about that, when it was so clear to me that Daniel Jones made a horrible throw behind and late to the receiver, I mean, if he just puts that out in the pylon for Deion Lewis, Lewis is either walking in or getting an actual pass interference. You know what I mean? Like Winfield's tackling him because he's not going to get there. Jones made a terrible play on that. And it just like seems like the Giants have just continue to coddle this kid. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm so out on that player. But wasn't that the story? It was a horrible throw by Jones more so than it was a penalty on Winfield.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, The penalty itself was one of those things where – you could completely understand if you're if you're being unbiased as possible, that call going either way. There's really no way to argue if they would have kept the flag and said, you know what, it was close, but they made the call. Let's stick with it. I don't think Bucks fans, Bucks fans can be angry about it, but you can't really have an argument that it was the wrong call, right? right. It was very, very close. And I think the same is true the other way around. Ref made the call, but it was the back judge, I think. And I think that the the side judge or the line judge there on the on the side thought he had a better look. And they did what officials are supposed to do, right? You get together. It took longer than I think a a lot of people were comfortable with and that's kind of when you start to wonder like, oh man, should we just stick with it? But that's what their job is. Their job is to come together and say, Hey, what did you see? What did I see? What you know, what is the rule? What should we prioritize here? Was it close enough to pick it up? Was it egregious? What you know, you have those conversations. That's your job. Your job is to make the right call in those big moments. I'm not even really a fan of the whole, you know, you can't make X call in in Y moment because of how no if it calls the call you make it mm-hmm. you have to have the guts and the and, and the stones to do that that's your job so the fact that they were willing to pick it up shows me that they were confident enough in what they talked about in that conversation to say listen we're really not comfortable with this being enough of a penalty and clearly enough of an impediment to the receiver to let the game hang on this in this moment and they picked it up and and again depending on what team you're on you're you complete you feel completely different <laughs> 100%. about the outcome there oh yeah but to, to your point about Daniel Jones man absolutely not only was a terrible throw he made a horrible read if you see the everything that happens pre-snap first of all they lined up in it and the Bucks call a timeout because they wanted to see the look they came right same back thing. out in the same, same exact look,
3: thing and it still worked <laughs> I They know. still
4: got it with the pre with the pre-snap motion and you see how far I mean come on the Antoine Winfield is a, is a defensive, rookie, defensive rookie of the year candidate for a reason the, the amount of ground he covered crazy in that two seconds from the snap to that ball coming out but Daniel Jones was too late with it. He had that play immediately. As soon as he caught the ball, the Bucs were dead to rights. He was, Deion Lewis was going to be wide open, but that wasn't his first read. If you watch his eyes, he does not look to Deion Lewis first. I don't know whether he's trying to create space by looking off somebody in the middle, if he had another read, but he had that play immediately as soon as he caught that snap. And if he gets rid of that ball, if he's looking at Deion Lewis immediately, that's an easy score. Like you said, it's a walk-in. There's no time for Winfield to get there. And maybe he just underestimated to the rookie right maybe Maybe he just thought there's no way winfield's getting to this ball uh and he got there he got there about the same time he got to the receiver but he made the play and again you know like like bruce arian said you're not gonna apologize for winning they made the call the way it was and uh, let's not forget it would have been a tie game bucks had two timeouts and 28 seconds and tom brady on the other side my ryan Suckup went four for four on field goals in that game who's to say we're not still talking about a regulation tampa bay win if they go down and get a field goal with that much time.
3: There was something that happened in the first half besides the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing terrible football um, in that first half. There was something that happened that I wanted to get Luke's take on. I'll ask him here coming up next.
2: Fantasy football is about proving
4: that you are better than your friends.
2: Sit up, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends on a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com.
5: Welcome to week number nine. I'm Corey Benigni of thehuddle.com, here to talk to you about strong plays for your fantasy football lineups. All four of these guys are a little bit on the risky side, but that's where we're at this time of the year. Quarterback Derek Carr, the Las Vegas Raiders at the Los Angeles Chargers. Carr is quietly on pace for his best fantasy football season to date, even after a lousy week eight game. The Raiders are getting healthier, and the quarterback position has averaged 25.8 fantasy points per game this year against the Bulls. Five quarterbacks have gone for at least 20 points, and three have gone for 24 or more in the last four contests alone. Jets running back let Michael Ryan should see a pretty healthy workload against the New England Patriots. It probably won't be pretty in terms of yardage, but there's a hint of upside here as a flex play with a player who faces a defense that has given up seven rushing touchdowns on the year, and what's maybe even more alarming is five of them were over just the past two contests. There's hope here for a situational football break to go Ryan's way. Another rookie, Jerry Judy, the wide receiver for the Denver Broncos at the Atlanta Falcons. He saw ten targets last week, and he has averaged nearly seven looks per game when Drew Locke has started all four contests. While the touchdowns haven't been there, this could change in week nine. Atlanta has given up five touchdowns in five games and eight on the entire season. The matchup is a little better suited for PPR volume though, which is another reason why you should get them in your lineup. Finally, tight end Greg Olson of the Seattle Seahawks at the Buffalo Bills. The Bills have given up six touchdowns to the position in eight games, helping create four performances of at least 17.8 PPR points. Keep in mind, this could be a risky situation especially seeing as there's so many weapons for Seattle to spread the ball around. We saw last week Olsen can get lost in the shuffle in a hurry. He is an intriguing risk-reward decision with several prize fantasy tight ends either hurt or underperforming. For more fantasy football information, news, and advice, check out thehuddle.com.
0: Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.
1: Luke, this week we're going to get,
3: we're, we're probably going to get an Antonio Brown sighting. We uh, Obviously, Antonio Brown not available for the Bucks in this game. So Tom Brady's throwing to guys like Mickens and uh, Tyler Johnson. Which he has a good little rapport with Tyler Johnson, but we can talk about that here coming up. Antonio Brown didn't play, but he was a big part of the broadcast, right? They're talking about him on the broadcast, talking about his pending sexual assault case or his head shot up on the screen with a list of all his the deplorable things he's done over the past two years. And look, as we talked about last week, this is kind of what the Bucks signed up for when they brought him in. You're... you're Attaching this to your franchise. What was that like as a Buck fan, you think? How did that taste for Buck fans watching that first half play out the way it did? The Bucks are playing bad football and on top of it, you have the broadcast just going on and on and on about A B and all his crap. I mean, I don't know how that, how that must have tasted for Bucks fans. What do you think?
4: I mean, you know, I the way I look at it is is they better be right. That's all I got to say. Yep. I mean, it's, you know, it, some people have compared it to, you know, there was a risk to bring in Gronk, right? You trade a fourth-round pick, guy who hasn't played in a year. You know, is he going to be the same guy? Didn't look like the same guy for those first few weeks, but now he's caught a touchdown in three straight games. But difference is the risk was all on the field. With Ryan, with Gronk, right? I mean, it's can he be the same player? Can he be worth what we invested in him with the Bucks and, and Antonio Brown? It's you see the other way around, right? I mean, it's an incredibly cheap deal for one of the best wide receivers in NFL history. It, he immediately comes in to make your football team better, probably from a, a talent standpoint, especially with Chris Godwin. You know, with dealing with the injury, he might still be out probably for the Saints game. You're still looking for that other guy to step up. Scotty Miller's done some good things. You mentioned Tyler Johnson had a big catch on a key long situation after a holding penalty last night to set up uh, a good drive
3: Brady likes him he trusts him <laughs> yeah
4: and rightly so I mean the fact that he was available in the fifth round you know I'm a draft guy I mean that was insane the career he had at Minnesota the last game he played was at Raymond James Stadium in the Outback Bowl he torched Auburn for 200 yards and two touchdowns in that game I think the Bucks were shocked to be able to get their hands on him in the fifth round uh, and he's showing why you know Antonio Brown again it's all the risk is off the field I think it's, it's in the locker room even as a teammate and once he's on the field he proved it last year with that one week stint with the the, with the Patriots caught 451 on a touchdown. He's going to make plays when he's on the field. The thing is, are you willing to risk everything from what you just said, the conversation being centered around what he's done off the field and the, the PR nightmare that comes along with that, having to explain to your fans, having to explain to you the women who root for your team that yeah. you're bringing this guy in it's with all gr- of these allegations. It is absolutely gross, man. So it's that you know what you're signing up for. If anybody knows, it's Bruce Arians, right? There's nobody in the league that knows better what he's signing up for than bruce arians right he knows the good bad and the ugly here so you know this just shows just how far the bucks are willing to go to to strike this iron while it's hot man they they know they have a a window here to try to get a championship with tom brady and and the additions they've made and they are not willing evidently to compromise certain things in order to to pursue that And, and again Everything that comes along with it, they're asking for. And you better be right about it, and it better work, because if it doesn't, you're going to have nobody to blame.
3: Luke, you just hit on uh, the next point I wanted to make when you talked about ab in his first game with brady in new england it's so true like he came in that first week barely had any practice time right he doesn't start the game against miami but he gets in there like the second or third snap he's out there and brady just locks in on him and brady just starts hitting him with passes ab ends up he doesn't play a ton of snaps that game but he ends up leading the team and receiving catches a touchdown like what do we expect from ab against the saints like what do we expect especially if godwin doesn't play i would not be surprised at all if he's one of the most heavily targeted guys and you know brady still goes to mike evans in the red zone and stuff like that, which has been a nightmare for defenses. But I think between the 20s, oh my God, I would not be surprised if Brady's locking onto A.B. because like I said, like we talked about last week, he loves A.B. He's got A.B. in his mansion, in the Jeter mansion, right, with Giselle and the kids. That's what's come out since we talked last. Brady's got him at the house. So he loves A.B. and I would not be surprised at all, Luke, if he just starts targeting the crap out of him during this game. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all, man. And and part of it's because what you said, not only are the Saints going to have Mike Evans as, you know, doubled. as as often as possible. But even when they don't, it's Marshawn Lattimore versus Mike Evans. That's going to be a heavyweight fight all night long, even in man coverage. I don't think you'll see many one-on-one opportunities. Real quick, you mentioned the the red zone success. Six red zone targets this season for Mike Evans. Six touchdowns. (laughs) That's not bad. Every single time. He's got seven touchdowns this season, tied for the team lead. Or the NFL lead, rather, but yeah, he's I would not be surprised if you're right, man. AB a- is going to get he's going to get the ball. They're not messing around. They're not bringing him here to be a decoy. They're not bringing him here for another big name star power, whatever. They're bringing him here because he's a playmaker. Uh, and Tom Brady is not going to he's not going to screw around. He's going to get the ball in the hands of the guys who can make plays. And when even with Godwin out, the biggest thing Chris Godwin does is is almost schematic for the Bucks. He can do so many things out of that slot spot, a- and he blocks well. He's tough. He's physical. He's a very different player than AB in terms of his build. Uh, and what he does well in the slot. And that's why it's so, every time you've seen the Bucks' offense struggle this season, it's because Godwin's not in the lineup. It's because when he's out, you have maybe one guy who can replace his speed, a guy like Scotty Miller. You have one guy who can maybe re- replace his his big frame and his physicality, and a guy like Justin Watson. You got a guy who can make tough catches over the middle like Tyler Johnson proved last night. But Chris Godwin can do all of those things at once. So when you have to slide every different guy and move different guys around to take advantage, it, it limits what you can do on a snap-to-snap basis. Based on the personnel you have in the game, so even if Godwin's out, yes, AB is going to be able to, to provide something different. He's not the same type of receiver. It's just going to be interesting for for opposing defenses because on film, you know what Chris Godwin gives you, and you've seen what he's given the Bucks this season and last season. ab's a little bit more of a wild card, right? You're not going to be able to prepare necessarily for recent film on him. He doesn't have any, course, right? You're going to yeah. just have one game to go back and watch yeah, one game. Yeah, you know, so it's going to be really interesting. I do think the Bucks are going to take advantage of that. I- again, it's going to be heavy on other receivers, probably between the 20s and, and Mike Evans is going to continue to go to work in the red zone but I wouldn't be surprised if you're right if, if, if AB gets a ton of targets right away uh, honestly as much to test the waters on the books and as to see what other opposing defenses are going to do with them
3: no, yeah. fire them up in fantasy fire them up man this, there's so many angles to the Saints game that I love uh, I'll talk about my favorite one with Luke here coming up next
2: <laughs> it's that time again the line of the week the inside track to the favorites the underdogs and the over-unders i think i want my money back now here are jeff clark and esten mclaren from usa today's sportsbook wire
0: Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of Sportsbook Wire and Bet and Podcast. I'm joined by Jeff Clark to break down all you need to know to bet on the Week 9 Sunday Night Football matchup between the New Orleans Saints and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs, they're 6-2 coming in. Five and a half point favorites, minus 110 odds. The Saints, 5-2, and two, plus 5.5 underdogs, minus 110 odds again. Big NFC South battle. Bucs come in in first place. Jeff. Can they hold on against New Orleans Saints? Everyone's down on Drew Brees right now, and it feels a little ageist to me. Old man Drew is seventh in the league in QBR, and he hasn't had his two best weapons on the field for most of the year. Speaking of which... He should be getting back wide receiver uh, Michael Thomas, who is the reigning offensive player of the year. And the Saints' defense is improving. They've even, even invested here at the trade deadline by acquiring former San Francisco 49ers linebacker Quan Alexander. Give me the Saints plus the points. I'm taking the Bucks. I like them. You're talking about Michael Thomas coming back, Antonio Brown's debut for the Buccaneers. That Bucks defense looking great as well. Second in the NFL with 28 sacks. Subscribe to Betslip podcasts on your favorite app. Please be sure to rate and review. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are
1: left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so besides the fact, Luke,
3: that the Bucks. Did win this game against the Giants. They didn't drop it, so they do get to six and two. You're six and two. They're five and two. The Saints, so you still get this half game lead over them. But the Saints have the head to head right now, so this game is so big. And you can't forget, right? You can't forget week one what happened right at the end of the game. I I've, I've I circled this when it happened, Luke, because I knew we'd come back to it eventually, and I think it's in play. The Saints recover the Tampa Bay onside kick. The game's effectively over after they do that. There's like two minutes, 40 seconds left. It's an 11-point lead. The game's over. And Sean Payton calls that double pass. Drew Brees, Taysom Hill to Kamara for 38 yards. to get inside the 10-yard line. And then they proceed over the next four plays to try to punch one more score in on you, even though the game's over. They try like hell to punch one more in, and they almost do it. Kamara actually gets in there, but they end up calling it back on replay. The Bucs end up holding on for a, an 11-point loss instead of a, a more blowout loss. And that was the Saints trying to send a message, right? We talked about it. The Saints wanted to say, hey, we own this division. We're the NFC South. We don't care if they got Tom Brady. Like, this is our our division. And it might not be after this week. If the Bucs go in there, take advantage of home. They're four-and-a-half-point favorites. This is going to be their division now. They're going to be 7-2 with a with a game-and-a-half lead, and the, and the tiebreaker will be gone for the Saints. So this is a massive, massive game. And I hope the Bucks have that little thing that happened at the end of that game and they use it to their advantage maybe a little bit extra motivation Luke going into this game because there's no way they forgot about that
4: no and even if it's just unspoken you know and, and Bruce Arians doesn't need to tell these guys what happened at the end of that game for them to remember it I definitely think it's going to fuel that and and they're gonna uh, like you said so many different angles to work with in this game but if you go back and look the only reason the Bucks lost that game is because of turnovers uh, you know turnovers and penalties are what plagued that team and it was again an offense that had no preseason you know a weird training camp no OTAs and mini camps to kind of get on the same page with their new quarterback. So that was honestly as as uh, you know maybe clunky as the Bucks offense is going to look all year. Yeah. Is that first week, right? And that you're was back when
3: That was back when Brady was throwing pick sixes,
4: right? You know, I mean, he's gone four straight games without an interception. Man, he's on pace. That's it's we're at we're at the halfway mark now, and he's at he's on pace for forty touchdown passes and eight interceptions. I mean, he's absolutely an MVP candidate right now oh, yeah. for what he's doing for the team, for what he's doing statistically at his age. Yep. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But you know, the Bucks are hitting their stride offensively and they've done it against some decent defenses, you know, that's the biggest difference to me. They've limited penalties. They've limited turnovers. They continue to to have success in the kicking game, which is something this team has been chasing for over a decade. It's somebody that can reliably get the, the ball through the uprights, and it was a big reason why they won this game. They scored 25 points against the Giants. 13 of them came from Ryan Suckup. He went 4-4. Four for four. It was cold. It was windy, and he still made the plays. So, you know, this team is not the team that lost in week one to the Saints. They are much more complete they're much more on the same page, especially offensively, and even if Godwin can't go, I feel like what we talked about earlier with A.B. giving them a different wrinkle on offense maybe doesn't replace what Godwin does, but gives them that extra added element to the offense that can that can keep them from, from losing a step, basically, in terms of their success. It might look a little different, but I feel like they can have the same kind of offensive success. And again, when you have that chip on your shoulder, it's a division game. The Bucks still haven't played the Falcons at all. They get two more against the Falcons. They get one more against Carolina. If they win this game, they are absolutely in the driver's seat for the division. Vision. and if you look at where they are in terms of the rest of the NFC, I don't know if their offense is on the same level as what Russell Wilson is doing in Seattle, but Seattle has the worst, absolute worst defense in the entire NFL, yes, and the Bucs might have the best one. You could absolutely make the argument that the Bucs are the most complete team in the NFC right now. They ran Green Bay out of the building, and if you look around the rest of the league, if they beat the Saints, like you said, they, they, they've they split that series. They've still got two against the Falcons. Yes, they have you know the Rams, who could be a tough one. They have the Chiefs still. They have a couple you know of those trap type games like we just saw Monday night but man if they get this one there's a real good chance they go 12 and four uh, and go six and two the rest of the way after doing it in the first half then end up maybe with the two seed. And maybe with a one seed, if if the, the defense in Seattle doesn't improve very, very quickly, because you can't necessarily expect Russell Wilson to keep playing at the level he is. I know he expects himself to. But man, the Bucs are the most complete team in the NFC, in my opinion. If they win this game, they could easily end up being the, one, the number one seed in the NFC, which again, this year, that's the only team that gets the bye. So that's a huge, huge thing for this team. And it's just a great conversation to be having. It's early November, and we're talking about whether the Bucks can be the number one or the number two seed instead good. of the number one or the number two oh, pick. Yeah. This oh, draft. Yeah. It's it's great. So it's a it's a whole different dynamic, and that just lets you know what a complete flip this team has done, and it all goes back to signing Tom Brady in the offseason.
3: Yeah, I love it. Oh man, it, you know, it's painful over here in Patriots country because Brady looks so freaking good. They're six and two and, and our Patriots are two and five. We don't even know what's going on. Bre- and the food doesn't taste the same, Luke. You know, we you know we're we're drinking more than we should, you know, just like we don't know how to handle being two and five and being in the at the bottom of the league in the AFC. We we have no idea what this is like in New England, so we're we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure it out. No idea. I need to be comforted in some form. You know, it's it's definitely I, it's, hard. I,
4: I I commiserate with you as someone who was born and raised in this area for a team that didn't win its first game until its twenty seventh. You know, we know a thing or two about losing down here, so uh, we're we're probably a little more used to it. And this is a little bit. This is the opposite. It's a strange feeling for us to uh, to be talking about being a top seed in the NFC uh, after Halloween. It's
3: hitting us right in the face, right square in the face. And uh, you know, speaking of the new the new leader of the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills, Bucks fans should be. Rooting for the Bills over there against the uh, Seahawks. Actually, at home against the Seahawks this week. That would be a nice one if the Bills could knock off the Seahawks. That could just clear a little bit more space, real estate, for the Bucks to maybe get that number one seed. We know they got the the head-to-head against the Packers. But, hey, first got to take advantage, take care of business, I should say, against these New Orleans Saints. This is gonna be a fun game, man. I can't I can't wait to see how this one plays out.
4: Yeah, it's gonna be exciting and, and one thing that I think could tip the scales for the Bucks in this one. We talked to Bruce Arians last night. We talked to Mike Evans last night. Mike's personality in that in that presser was specifically geared towards the fact that it's really hard to get up without fans. The, the the players and coaches are really struggling with that. I don't know how much they're going to be honest about it, but Mike was pretty honest about it last night. There was nobody at, the, at MetLife last night, and the Bucks are, you know, they have very limited seating, but something is better than nothing, I think, for the players, and, and yeah. you can tell just how excited he was about the possibility of playing at home. Again, when they played in Week 1 against the Saints, there were no fans there either, so the energy is just so much different, even when there's a few people in the building, and especially if they're your people and you're at home, I can tell the Bucs are already energized, especially especially after last night, after coming out so flat. And I think that contributed to it. And, I, and good on them for admitting it. You know, nobody really wants to admit that you can't get up for a game when there's no fans, but they admit it. They're like, it's just different. The vibe is different. The energy is different. It's very difficult to be in that same mental space as when you are when you have fans, even just a few. So I think the Bucks are really jacked up about this, man. They can't wait to get home in front of some of their home crowd uh, with a big game on the line. It's going to be under the lights again, primetime, Sunday night football. It's it's a huge game. And again, for this team to be playing meaningful games in November is just such a challenge change of pace for them and something jason light the general manager is everything has been pointing towards this to building this team to be relevant down the stretch and that's exactly what we're going to see sunday night
3: hey my man enjoy it enjoy it while it last luke
4: hey every every week is a blessing at this point right every 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 win uh, every every conversation that center centers around this team going to the playoffs so we're going to soak it up around here we'll not be lost on us
3: 100 percent. so we'll see how it all plays out thanks for joining us on the bucks wire podcast